0: Greetings everyone, welcome to the Lift Effect podcast. I am your host, Matt McNeil, founder, clinical director, and director of human performance at Lift Effect, where we assist professional pilots with maintaining better mental health and optimizing their mental skills. The goal of this podcast is simple, to help pilots and other high liability professionals and disciplines come out of the shadows to discover how we can live better lives personally and professionally. Join us each episode as we discuss various topics, ranging from mental health, mental skills and performance, to business, entrepreneurship, and a few other surprises along the way.
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Lift Effect Lick. <laughs> and if you put this in, I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Lift Effect Podcast. I'm your host, Carl Keller, along with the main man, Matt McNeil, as always.
0: It's a mouthful, isn't it?
1: Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it's like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> this is our July uh, post-July 4th podcast. How was your uh how was your fourth?
0: Well, they canceled the fireworks here because the weather, the one time that it was probably conducive for fireworks because everything's so wet and green, it was, the weather was just too crappy. So they canceled all the fireworks. So it was okay. We hang out with the neighbors and lit off some uh, legal people, legal fireworks of our own in the street and the kids had a good time. So it was good. We ended up driving back from New Mexico during the day. So the day was just sort of spent on the road. but. Things are good. How was yours?
1: Um, it was relatively quiet. We watched some fireworks and uh we were at the house and, and we're not that far away where we could see the, the fireworks from the county. And of course our, our dog was our, our our ferocious German Shepherd was cowering in fear with all the noise. But um it's like one of the, her few things that she just uh, doesn't cotton to. Yeah. But um it was uh it, it was a it was a quiet weekend. Uh, my daughter turned eighteen yesterday, so just another adult down. Three to go. Mm-hmm. Wow! But uh, I know they—they. They, I can't believe how fast they're growing up. It's just—it's scary. Yeah. Really is. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a few years to go before your first one. Yes,
0: I today. do. I do. Absolutely. But
1: it'll come. Let me tell you. It will come. I can't believe
0: she's already seven, man. I'm like. I know. I just like, and I get these little little memories show up on your phone. You know, the 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 fo- I think it's the photo app or something pushes it. And it's like, oh my gosh, that was just like a couple of years ago. And now she's like, you know, like a person, like a little person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like, at seven, she becomes a person. Before She's, that she's year, got her own idea. Year. Well, she's had her own yeah. idea since she was came out. Oh my but, God. You know. My six-year-old thinks he, you know, yeah. it's like, dad, you really don't know what's going
0: on. No, so. <laughs> no, don't know anything. Yeah. Nope. I'm like, my daughter never fails to remind me that I'm just so out of the loop. Jurassic. And I'm, like, I'm like, oh God, what's it going to be like in high school? You know, you know maybe I'll I, go back to fly the line when she's in high school I don't know
1: <laughs> I feel like a dinosaur you know I'm just thank God they aren't burning me for dinosaurs yeah, you know I like know. the old oil thing yeah. but hey um you know what uh, I think we're gonna finish up a series today okay a three parter right yep. you no know, boy, I don't think our listeners really <laughs> knew what they were getting themselves into mm-hmm. when they asked our question on science nope. no no it's uh we're,
0: um it's one big but, experiment, isn't it
1: yeah yeah well you know that's science
0: that's science and that's and i you know I, i think as you and i had talked about a little offline it's like why are we doing this well look the reality is is you know the podcast i'm in the podcast for the long haul and i want to cover things that i think are interesting and i think that my i think some listeners will think is interesting as well and maybe you don't you won't find it very interesting and you can skip that those episodes you know or just just you know listen to what you want out of it you don't have to you don't have to love every second of it but i i, I think part of this is scratching our own itch and um i don't think that we're that different from a lot of other people so that's kind of why we're, we're delving into some of this stuff
1: when we st- uh, kind of answer the questions. We don't have any preconceived notion of where it's going to go. Um, this one went down, I can't say a rabbit hole, but it became much more in depth and it turned into from a simple question to a three parter. So, and that will happen. Uh, we just never know where they're going to take us sometimes. But, um, I know you were talking, uh, the, the highlights, I think, were you, you know, you were talking about bias and you wanted to address a few more things there. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm going to kind of let you start with there. You you had a few things you wanted to clean up and finish up on the on bias from last week. So yeah. I'm going to kind of lob it to you and let you so kind of finish to, that up.
0: Yeah, like to apply maybe bias to when we're looking at studies, which was the whole origin of this conversation was, how do you know what's good science versus bad science? Um, and like whether you're reading a report in the USA Today or you're reading something in the New England Journal of Medicine, you still have to discriminate um, At at some level, what does it say? Now, if if there's something featured in a journal like the New England Journal of Medicine, you can assume that there's some level of rigor with a study being accepted into the journal, which is what the peer review process is. And you could argue that the New England Journal of Medicine is biased, but I think that at some respects these types of publications are there is an assumption and again you can challenge assumptions but there's an assumption that these things are legitimate and that they've done their homework and that they're using the latest and greatest of human resource and of technological resource to determine whether something is viable or not but one of the things that i wanted to talk about when you're thinking about bias which is what we talked about last time is so what kinds of studies are like where does bias appear when you're looking at studies and i i think that the studies that are most vulnerable to bias are observational studies there's a huge potential for bias in in observational studies observational studies are where there are no uh that you know there's not a control there's not a experimental group There's not where you have a randomized selection process. You have double blind, where the participants are blind, the experimenter is blind, to who's getting which treatment. So those things are designed to eliminate bias. Observational studies are, and again, I love observational studies. This doesn't mean, oh my God, they're terrible. You should never use observational studies. This is where you're just observing. You're looking at at things and trying to infer uh, information. From those And observational studies are very important. Oftentimes they're an impetus for greater studies or greater areas to investigate. But observational studies inherently have a potential for, for bias. So there's things to look for in an observational study that um, can increase or decrease your confidence in what the study is reporting. So first and foremost is the s- selection bias is a huge issue selection of subjects into a study uh, or their likelihood of staying in the study leads to a result that is often not very representative of the target population and so that's that's one thing to think about is like okay it's an observational study where they only looking at so let's just say pilots and um, mortality rates after age 65 let's just do that Well, does this then apply the problem with with there's a selection bias with that study because, well, you only chose pilots. Does that then apply to um, the greater population? Well, there's probably factors that make that not very applicable. But even in this, well, let's say we did a study of airline pilots, there could be, it could not represent maybe a target population, which is, okay, well, airline pilots of what age? Airline pilots that live where? Airline pilots that work how many hours a month? Airline pilots that work what type of schedule? There's differences within that population. So you want to, there could be a selection bias in, in what that's uh, that, that study, that observational study inferred. Um, there's, healthy user bias which is a form of selection bias where people who are health conscious are different from people who are are not in many different ways and this this probably can't really be controlled without randomized controlled trials so an observational study where it's a health there may be a healthy user bias that's going to have uh, some issues in terms of, of bias so th- thinking about observational studies a uh, prospective or retrospective the healthy user bias is w- one of the more common ones that y- is seen in the epidemiology as it pertains to health so um one example that uh peter atia who's a well-known uh, i guess he's a longevity physician he just wrote a fantastic book called outlive by the way uh, he's got a great podcast if you're interested i highly highly recommend it um he, he talks about this he uses an example of this where he talks about it like this okay so is bacon bad for you that was one of the big things that you know there's always these studies each year that says like you know bacon is the wonder food bacon's the worst thing in the world um i think bacon for vegetarians is the gateway drug to eating meat again i can definitely say that uh from personal experience <laughs> but you know so but the question is bacon he so he talks about you know the question that comes up is is bacon bad for you so if you look at observational epidemiology bacon is almost always bad for you the hazard ratios are around 1.3 meaning it's got basically a 30 percent increase in the risk of basically anything you look at whether it's cancer or you know cardiovascular disease which is heart disease uh death um is that direct it's it's that directionally so the World Health Organization for example is looking at over 700 epidemiological studies for red meat consumption. And when you look at those, you have to ask how are they measuring bacon consumption? They're using these food frequency questionnaires which introduces recall bias, like do you re- really remember? <laughs> you know, people don't remember very well and we've talked about that in V1 and it's like our ability to recollect is is abysmal i mean it's just terrible um but if you look at the bacon data or the red meat data on the surface of course you would be concerned if you looked at this and the problem with these studies is that you can't ever um no matter how much you try to statistically reconcile it you can't strip out the fact that people make choices not in isolation um so is there any difference between a person who makes a lifelong decision to eat meat and a person who doesn't? Well, of course there is. It's going to come down to many things that go beyond just their diet, including things that can't be controlled for, like lifestyle choices and how much they exercise and how, do they take vitamins or not, these kinds of things. So uh, you can control for some of these things. Like one thing Peter always talks about is like, like smoking, a person who, who doesn't eat meat is far less likely to smoke than a person who does. That we that's there's lots of studies that show that. Also, a person who doesn't eat meat is probably far more likely to exercise or pay attention to things like their sleep habits or just be more compliant with their medication. That does. People who don't eat meat are basically a proxy for someone who is very is quite concerned about health consciousness. That's a big driver for people that choose to not eat meat. Is they're like, well, it's for Yes, there's the ethical crowd, but it's also people are like you know what it's it's for health reasons why I don't eat meat. Maybe there's family history of heart disease or uh, uh, bowel disease or something like that. So the the point is is that you've got that is going to create some bias in the data. It's like you're you're kind of comparing apples to oranges, possibly not apples to apples. So that's that's another. Th- Another thing.
1: Oh, I, 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 think I must be eating too much meat because obviously I don't have a good memory <laughs> <laughs> at times. Um, you know, I, I, was just, I was just thinking, well, you know, I don't have very many jobs as a host, but one of them is to set, set the stage of what's going on. And, and I'm going to step back for just a second and say, this is the third episode and the whole, we, I didn't even bring up for those that didn't listen to the mm. first two. What was the whole question? And it really resolved around what's good science and what's, what's, bad, good science. Science, what's so bad science. So I was a very bad host. You know, uh, no more red meat for me today. Well, so <laughs> that's, and, and look, look,
0: there's no, that, that's not, there's no judgment on whether you choose oh, to I eat, know. eat just... meat or not. You know, like, but, but somebody like, but you got to understand that there are lifestyle choices yeah, there are. that are, that may not be represent, that, that are, that are beneath the surface of of, of observation. That could impact the
1: study. I, I would even say, you know, for those that do eat red meat, as an example, is it is it like, for instance, uh, from from beef, is it grass fed or is it, right. You know, with it's got, horm- it got hormones, hormones in it, and It right. can have a huge impact. So there's yep. there's no it's there's no one size fits all clean answer, and that's why a lot of these studies are constantly looking at is to see those effects right. with those controlled, um, uh, uh, you know. Uh, experiments
0: that's right that's right so that's that's a healthy user bias another bias i wanted to just touch on was information or or recall bias this is a uh, a bias where there's a distortion in the measure of association due to a lack of accurate measurement so for example errors in accuracy or completeness of the recollections which is called recalled that's what recall bias is regarding events in the past Many people are completely surprised to learn how like clunky nutritional, for example, we're talking about nutritional epidemiology, like how clunky nutritional epidemiology is. Uh, Food frequency questionnaires. We see these all the times in studies. They use food frequency questionnaires. So for example, um, you get a call and it it says, hey, do you remember how many times a week you ate uh, an apple? Or you ate, you drank a beer or you ate oatmeal or you ate meat for the past year. Well, okay. Some people pay a lot of attention to what they eat. I'm one of those people. I write almost everything down that I eat. Um, I have for years because I'm always trying to look at like, is there, is there a pattern if like I'm gaining weight or I'm losing weight or I'm not sleeping well, or my exercise numbers and my heart rate variability goes to shit or whatever. I'm like, okay, well, let me look back and see what I'm doing. But I'm crazy, right? That's not what most people do. You know, most people probably don't recall what they eat. Most people I talk to when I even ask them about nutrition, because I'm thinking from a psychological perspective, they can't remember what they ate this morning, much less what they ate all year. So the number of foods that are encapsulated in the food frequency questionnaire is, is vastly different. It only calls uh, covers a small portion of what people actually eat. And it's it's the food that I, I think the epidemiologists tend to look at, like red meat consumption, things like that, that people will, will underestimate when they, they do these validity studies and actually follow them. So that's, a, that's kind of an informational recall bias that observational studies are they, they're prone to these kinds of errors, these kinds of biases. There's performance bias, which is also known as the Hawthorne effect, And this is a type of bias where individuals change aspects of their behavior when they know that they're being observed, which is, I remember seeing these in like, when I was in undergrad and doing psychology experiments in the lab. And when people knew they were being observed versus when they didn't, that's always a a threat to validity. People change, they change. So so like if you tried to log what you eat every day, just by logging what you eat, you're gonna probably change what you eat, becoming more mindful of it. So that Hawthorne effect, knowing that you're in a study, knowing that you're being observed, knowing that these the data is going to be collected, does that then change the normal behavior? Well, we know that it it can. And so then what would think about this? What would that do to the to the results of the study?
1: You would totally skew it.
0: It'd skew it. You don't totally. know what
1: people are in their natural environment. <laughs> So, yeah. um, I mean, it's the same, uh, like expectation bias. If they, if they are anticipating what they think the direction of the, of this experiment or trial is, they may steer it because they think that's what they're looking for. Yeah. As an example, that's just another thing where they're in, they're introducing something that's not of their normal daily or their normal pattern Yeah, because they, they think this is what you're looking for. Right. And I think a lot of
0: this comes down to, and look, you can use this Hawthorne effect to your advantage. So I'm a firm believer that the people that you surround yourself with the most are going to have a huge influence in how you act and behave. So like when you go to dinner with a bunch of people that are ultra endurance athletes or People that are interested in longevity and they they take care of themselves, right? Are you going to be more likely to order, you know, the ice cream sundae for dessert and grab the big bread basket that comes out that when nobody else is eating it? The social pressure on that is you're probably going to be like, ooh, I I kind of want to rise to the occasion here. I don't want to. I better I better try to eat a little healthy too here. Whereas if you go out to eat with people that are morbidly obese and everybody smokes cigarettes and drinks a six pack of beer every night, are you going to be more like, yeah, let me order a salad? No, you're going to be like, yeah, give me the, give me the burger with the, the, you know, the double burger with the fries and the, the the milkshake and the whole, the whole thing on top of it. So this is a, um, the Hawthorne effect is a, we could do a whole series on Hawthorne effect and how, where it plays out and how you can actually if you understand it, you can use this to to your advantage what i mean what's your take on that carl
1: what do, you, what do you think oh i you know we've always talked about to look at you know as far as who you surround yourself with in large effect will impact where wh- what you do uh your could be your financial status, like you say your health um, even your emotional state if you're around people that are very stable versus people that are very um Unstable. I'll just say it that way. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, and, and I think we were talking about one day and and, and it came to a a little bit of a revelation, um, where he said, not only are the people that surround you impacting you, but don't forget you're impacting those that you, that you surround yourself with. Uh,
0: So it it works
1: both ways where you have an impact on them, negative or positive. So most definitely, uh, you know, you, you don't want your kids to do drugs to, uh, or or be in a gang. Don't allow them to be near those things right. or or restricted or or don't be
0: it. in one yourself, yeah. you know. You know. I
1: mean. You know, you know, practice what you preach. If you're going to rail against smoking, it's kind of hard if you're doing the smoking. Unless you're giving it a very good example of this is what happens when you smoke, emphysema and all these other things. Mm-hmm. But the the key is don't start it. Um or and uh, lead by example is the bottom line. Yeah. Because otherwise all they monkey see, monkey do. I remember that. Remember that TV commercial, where the uh, uh, it was a long time ago, where they had this little boy and the father, and whatever the father did, the little boy was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at the very end, the dad lights up a cigarette, and uh, the little boy's looking at you know, wanting to do the same thing. It was right. an it was one of the very first anti-smoking commercials that came out, but it was ve- it made it very clear: you are a role model. Mm -hmm. Um, and and in this case, we're talking about a child, but even as an adults, people, like you say, are very susceptible both consciously and subconsciously to peer pressure or impressions of others. They, they don't want to look bad and they want to please others. We're, we're, we are a species that wants to please Mm -hmm. by and large, there's exceptions, but by and large, so you can have a, you can have a very positive impact on people by the choices you make or negative one, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's right, that's right. So there's one, there's a couple more biases I think are important to mention. There's bias due to primary and uh, and secondary outcomes. So the idea of differentiating primary from secondary outcomes are the findings based on the primary outcome. And so there's, you know, there's some debate about whether you can only have one primary outcome or whether you can have co-primary outcomes. But the primary outcomes are basically the outcomes for which the study is designed around and it's powered against i believe and i'm not a statistician but i think that studies are really only useful if they have a primary outcome you can have happy mistakes that you can create new studies out of but a study really has one uh, when you're talking about in, in you know h h1 i think there's only one primary outcome um and so, but there's lots of secondary outcomes that, that, that happen when you're doing studies and they're, they're often exploratory. So it's really important that that when like studies are pre, are being pre-registered, they, they state what the primary outcome is and what the secondary outcomes are.
1: And what is a co-primary? I mean, if it, you, wouldn't anything beyond the primary be a secondary? I think
0: it would be anything beyond the primary would be secondary. And so, when a study fails to meet its primary outcome, uh, that would be deemed a null study, even if it meets secondary outcomes. So, it's important to pay attention to the subtlety of that. And a good journal with a pre-registered study is going to make that very, very clear. It's going to make that abundantly clear. So, it's important to understand that because it 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 gets to this next this next problem, which is the kind of multiple hypothesis testing problem and so research should be hypothesis seeking or hypothesis testing but it, it can only be hypothesis generating and so y- you can use statistical tools to break things up and slice it and dice it and look at data in multiple ways which is where statistics is like a beautiful language it's kind of amazing uh, you can take many looks at data to see if you actually find something significant there Um, I mean, think about like the implications that that has had in safety, huge implications in safety. They, they can tell you, I mean, this is kind of the beauty of engineering and science and statistics is they can tell you with a hundred percent certainty exactly when it's going to fail, when something is going to break, when something's going to implode, when, when things are going to start to fall apart. They know that's why there's life cycles to airframes. I mean, they, they know exactly how many times you can pressurize and unpressurize a cabin, before there's negative repercussions or negative consequences to that. So um, you can you can take many looks at data to see if you actually find something significant there. And you gotta be careful because the more you look, the more times you look at something, the more likely you are to find something that is indeed positive. And so in medicine, and I've been a victim of this, um, there's a very dangerous uh, risk of, of, and this is why I just, so angry with the faa that they put pilots through the ringer on a lot of this stuff there's a there is a risk of every time you do imaging every time you do a study is there's something called incidental findings incidental findings are where oh well we were looking for this but we saw this so now we've got to go on a a a you know exploratory path to figuring out what that is and that can lead to unnecessary procedures it can lead to people getting hurt and even getting and even losing their lives due to incidental incidental findings. And often incidental findings lead to nothing. They go through all this testing and all this diagnosis and they go, that's. Ah, that's nothing. you know,
1: or at the very least could end up prolonging their um, you know the time that it takes to regain their their medical. oh, huge license. Yeah, yes, I mean, so- huge.
0: And like, you know, the FAA is saying, you know making people go through, you know, cardiac, uh nuclear stress tests every year when they're getting a massive dose of radiation uh you know just like that's just and you talk to cardiologists you're like that's just stupid that just doesn't even that doesn't even register why you would do that on a yearly basis you'd put somebody through that on a yearly basis and then oh when you do the study now guess what well it looks like there's a little thing here and then the fa goes berserk oh now we've got to do a cath study now we got to go up and do a catheter catheterization, and you know it's just you got to be. The point is you got to be careful. You got to be careful because the more you look, the more you are going to find things. So here's a great example that that again my 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 mentor Peter Atia uh, what he talks about is flipping a coin. So you can flip a coin once. What's your chance of getting heads of getting heads if you flip a coin once? 50, 50 50 50 and if you get two chances to flip the coin the probability that you're going to get heads is now 75%. If you get three chances you're up to 87. Point, uh 87.5% chance that you're going to get at least one head. 10 times you're basically at 100% likely that you're going to get heads. So if you're allowed to uh 10 looks you've got to correct for that. And so there's something in statistics called a, a Bonferrani correction factor that does force you to do that. It, it forces you to divide the p-value by the N, where N is the number of times you've taken a look at the data uh, that, that you're looking at. And therefore, it raises the bar for what is considered statistically significant. This is what p-values are. Let me do one more. Do you have
1: any thought? Yeah. I, I just... The, you know, the fewer you do though, isn't it also less, a potential it, likelihood very much. Where, yep. Because now could it have been just random yes. and the next nine times you do it, you're gonna find out you happen to get the one outlier that, that makes it look like it's correct, but it really wasn't. It was the anomaly. So there's there's gotta be a like you said, I think a happy balance, a medium. Yes. Where you is there yes. is there a kind well, of a there is historical
0: Well, and it depends on the study. And it depends on what you're measuring. It depends on how many, what's the end number. It, there's a lot of different metrics that go into that, which is why statistics, I mean, any uh, scientific study that is worth their salt, they will have a PhD statistician <laughs> that, that will interpret the results because it's, it's, it's that complicated. And it requires all of these tools and all of this knowledge in computer models to be able to do this, uh, to correct for some of these.
1: Because you would factors. want it to be replicatable.
0: You, you, well, yeah. and then that's the beauty, beautiful part about science is, is it, um, is it uh, you know, validity and re- reliability, or is there repeatability? Which is why you want people to do science, the same experiment many, many times, because you're like, great, it, it's stable. You know, we we can show this over and over and over. That it produces the same result. There's there's good reliability uh, with that. Whereas if you do a study once and you go, okay, here's the sti- <laughs> the, the significance, and then you try to replicate it and it doesn't show, and, and you're like, oh no, no, forget. It. Just just pay attention to the first one. You know, I mean, which is drug companies, <laughs> which is like, I, I mean, it's crazy what they get away with. Or
1: they do and they do them until they get the. the They'll the keep answer doing it until they get
0: the answer, and they go, see, it's publishable. We got it. Um, which is just like it, it just kind of blows my mind. To me um, that's
1: bad science
0: i think it's bad science i think it's reckless but somebody's making money um, yeah, well
1: because it's all profit driven yeah not, not results yeah you know
0: yep well and that's why you know when uh the the company that's making the drug is also doing the study there there's a huge conflict of interest there huge conflict of interest it should be illegal uh but it's not so and that's washington um so let's talk about confounding. So how well did the study control for confounding? This So this goes back to this, this, you know, a good user bias, selection bias. Confounding occurs when a factor is associated with both the treatment and the outcome and is not part of the causal pathway from exposure to the outcome. So uh, an example would be... Um, uh, let's say people that consume coffee. Let's go back to coffee that are more prone to motor vehicle accidents. Let's just say that. So, does the coffee consumption cause motor vehicle accidents? Do do motor vehicle accidents cause uh, coffee consumption? Maybe, but it's more likely that people who drink coffee are likely to be driving in their car <laughs> during rush hour let's say in the morning going to work uh and most accidents occur guess when rush hour in morning when people going to work so does that mean well coffee causes motor vehicle accidents so that's what that's like i mean it's kind of a silly example but well here's you get one it.
1: think about um, and i'm 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 drawing a blank right now that's horrible of me i think it was I think it was American. It might've been Eastern mm. where they were in down in Florida in the Everglades. Eastern. And Eastern, they had the blinking light, the, yep. you know, and, and that in itself did not create a danger, but they were so focused on that, that they weren't watching what the, uh, you know, the, the autopilot was off and that they ended up crashing. They, that, that was not a, that was, that didn't. That in itself didn't create the unsafe environment. Right. It's not the light.
0: Yeah. The light was, yeah. And which, by the way, the light was fine. It was just burned out. Um, And that's a lot of modern CRM has been, has come from that. Everybody focused on one thing to the, to the, um,
1: um, to the detriment of everything
0: else. That's right. And there were other variables like captain's authority and a culture of not questioning, um, you know, the higher ranking person on the flight deck and you know which is a problem and we're i mean i think we're seeing this it's it's circling back around because the experience levels are less and people are less likely to question uh the 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 captain because they don't feel like they have the right to be questioning them or they don't even have the experience to know to question them
1: i think that's the big one i think it's it's a big deal fact is that they don't know enough to know and even though they think it might be they're going well he must know he or she must know more than I do that. And so they'll err on the side of, I'll just be quiet. And sometimes that's not the good thing to do. So let me, let me just
0: button this up. So here's the thing I was thinking about. This is what do I want you to take away from this? Here's what I want you to to think about uh, this. When you're looking at a study, you can ask yourself a series of basic questions. Uh, How large or small is it? If it's five people, or it's 50,000 people there's a difference is it randomized is it a randomized experiment meaning are the 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 participants randomly selected or not that makes a difference is there a control group even what's the kind of control is it is it placebo is it crossover how how appropriate is the control or the the uh, crossover groups is it blinded is it single blinded, meaning just the participants are blinded to whether they're they're getting the you know the treatment or not is are the experimenters blinded? They don't know who got the treatment and who didn't. That makes a difference. Um, how long or short is the study? I mean people they talk about diet studies, which I understand studies are really expensive to conduct. They're not there's funding that's involved and you can't do a study for for 50 years. You know when they're they're doing like uh you know cold exposure studies and they observe people for two weeks versus three months i think that makes a difference in terms of how you interpret the results um how generalizable are the results are the are are the participants kind of like everybody else is it can you generalize it or is it just too specific single site or multi-site um how big is the association or effect? Is it clinically meaningful? Are there adverse events? Who funded the trial? Do the authors have any conflict of interest? I, I don't like it when authors sit on the board of the drug company. <laughs> That's, you know, and most most research institutions forbid these researchers from doing that. It's a conflict of interest. And if you do have a conflict of interest, you've got to state it. I have a conflict here. Um, and is the study adequately powered? There's lots of things that that go into power. I think the most for the layman, the, the biggest thing is how many participants did you have? N number, it's if it's underpowered, it means there's just not enough oomph. And part of that is you just didn't have enough participants, or you didn't you didn't wait long enough. You didn't you didn't hold out long enough to really get meaningful, meaningful data. So that's, that's what I wanted you to just learn a little bit about. What is good science? What is bad science? It's a complicated question. But to me, it's not about whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. It's not about whether you're rich or poor, or you're black or white. I just look at how is the experiments... What is, what is the research question? Is there a, hypo- a hypothesis? Um, did they, Did they have enough participants... Did they look at confounding variables? Was there all these other were some of these biases at play? So that's what I want you to look at when you're looking at a paper or you read something in the in the the newspaper that says eggs are bad. Go and look at the study that they're referencing. And a, it's very likely that 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 the um, reporter only grabbed one snippet and decided to write a whole article out of it. That's probably likely. And if not. Look at the, how the study is designed and see like, okay, who funded it? Where was it done? How many participants? Were there confounding variables? That, that kind, those kinds of things, I think will allow you to be able to, to answer for yourself, is this good science or is this hokey? Not, not such great science. It's on a continuum though. It's not black or white, there's degrees.
1: And that is part three of three done yeah done <laughs> done uh, stick a s- stick a fork in stick it a fork on that bad boy <laughs> people are going to be like what in the hell what? did you
0: guys just talk about
1: i yeah no kidding it's like oh my god going yeah. got go, oh, uh, okay i better not ask about voodoo now <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably not probably not yeah yeah you know um i thought i would ask a question about okay. something that that uh is obviously very near and dear to your heart and just kind of, it's a little bit of a semi-plug, but it's also just kind of, how is the V1 project going? You now have two cohorts going and um very different dynamics, I think is what you were saying, from one who's done stuff. And how are you feeling about it? I,
0: oh, I'm super excited about it. I think we finally had a the first all cohorts meeting where we brought, a couple of the cohorts together and i thought that was really interesting one of the things that um we've decided and we haven't even uh written about it or put it on the website or anything but one of the things that we used to offer was the mental skills for value-based living course which was a 10-week course that pilots could take through at lift effect where we teach them psychological flexibility skills some mental uh Uh, mental management skill building and we do a lot of values work how to how do you live according to your values not just your goals and how do you create psychological flexibility around that and it's a really you've taken the class um i think it's a really powerful course that you can apply to not just your professional life but your life in general i think it it teaches some really good skills and
1: it was very good matter of fact i want to retake it Just because there's, it's one of those things where there's so much there that you almost have to go back and go. Yeah. There's multiple tools in each of those areas that we talked about, and you know sometimes you only get to try one of them at a time, and you need to go back and go. Okay, is there? Is there? Let me see if another one gives me a better result. There's just so much there. It was. It was. It was almost. Uh, I can't say overwhelming, but there was just an awful there's a lot, lot of there. It scratches
0: the surface, yeah. and it's it's repetition is the mother of mastery as pilots. We all know that. Um, and so, but one of the problem, and look, the reason I even created the course in the first place and offered it was part it was so that I could continue to work on it. I mean, there's it keeps my head in that game on a consistent and i've caught I've taught that course many, many times. And I, I get something out of it every time something changes some, there's a level of depth that, that increases as I do it. So, but one of the problems that we've run into is that the bandwidth issue, we just don't have the time to do it. Uh, And we haven't been running classes late lately because V1 has just been really taking up a lot of time and we're really investing in, in that I'm the, the class will be offered again at some point. Uh, but we don't know when, and lots of people have contacted LiftFX saying, when can I take the class? And I hate to say, like, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure yet. It's hard to coordinate all that. When we brought the two cohorts together, what was kind of interesting is all of the first cohort has taken that course. That was a prerequisite uh, just to, for that initial alpha cohort. Um, and I don't mean alpha like alpha dog. It's just alpha bravo, Charlie. That's how we name the cohorts. But the Alpha Cohort, everybody's had mental skills. Bravo Cohort, which is the one that, that just started a month or two ago, um, not, that wasn't a requirement. And some a few people have been in the mental skills class. Many haven't. And when we brought the two cohorts together, it became very clear that there was a, a delineation and a difference between those that had had the class and those that hadn't. Because it was coming up in the conversation it was coming up in just some of the ways that we were approaching what we were talking about and the feedback i generally got from the bravo cohort was "Shit, i really want that i want that course i want that information so we got some feedback from the alpha group they kind of weighed in on it we had some discussions around it we workshopped it and one thing we decided was we are gonna that is now the mental skills is that course is going to be taught in V1 upon initial arrival for every cohort that goes in there. So, and they're excited about it. And I think every I think there's just it's a good value, and that's kind of a new development. So that's really that's kind of my takeaway of where V1 is at right now. We're recruiting for the Charlie cohort. So if anybody wants to uh, participate, there's still some slots left in that. That will probably start maybe late summer, I think. I uh, will fill it certainly before then, but, uh, just in terms of scheduling, we'll get that started, but the mental skills is now going to be put in there. And if you're interested in the mental skills class, I strongly suggest you take, you, you sign up for V1 because the first basically four months are going to be that ex- nearly exact class is just now baked right into the curriculum.
1: I agree. It's it's definitely something that will help you because otherwise you're kind of learning as you go and you're not going to get the full um, impact of what V1 has to offer because it references a lot and it leans on that. So um, in our case, it was it was a prerequisite because when V1 started, it leaned on all those things. So it this here, in this case, you're going to kind of say you're getting a two for one. Yep. You're going to actually get both of them together all at once. Um, and it'll just you, they'll be seamless. You'll walk right from one, um, even though it's all called V one. You'll basically walk from the the mental skills right into the to the into what, the what regular we're doing with the curriculum.
0: V1. Yeah, yeah. What's your so? Uh, but what's your experience? You're in the Alpha cohort, Carl. How how has it been? What's your kind of observations uh, from from being in it for? I guess we're at five months now. I think right. We've been doing it for about five I, months.
1: I'm watching the group grow um i think there's there's a comfort level of mm. and it's amazing to watch and listen to people start using those tools and referencing those yeah. tools there are just so many tools and like i said it's, it's almost like you got to go back and and um revisit it literally you go back and watch uh the web uh, all the 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 recorded webinars, because that's Mm -hmm. part of what you get. You're able to look back at your previous times and you can actually find things that uh, you go, wow, I didn't get that the first time. Or, Mm -hmm. you know what, I'm going to try that. And that's why I say the same with the mental skills, same thing in V1. There's so many tools. And all this is to be able to uh, become the best version of yourself. And we'll say it that way. Um, It's to help you, and to be better around others, what do you, you know, feel? How, you how do you not feel not about fixing others? Yeah. but to
0: fix your, to how, help yourself. Be how's better? the community aspect? Because one of the goals um, that I set out with V One was to was to build community. Because pilots it was slow,
1: lack it. But yep. but I think again, it was the we were still trying to figure out what tools to use, mm-hmm. and we've recently added a new tool yeah. into our our group that you're starting to see. All of a sudden, you're starting to see interaction with, with, um, the group members to a level that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's growing. And again, this, the, we're good or bad, I don't know, I should say good and bad. We're the trailblazers in this regards. So we're making mistakes and we've learned from them and, and the, the follow on courts are going the to reap the rewards. So, but uh, there's some things that, you know, we were a little bit slow to take in and we were looking at for different things and kind of going, is that really, uh, you know, you can draw in, you can draw, uh, erroneous conclusions based on what you're seeing and go, well, what's the cause. And some of it was sometimes it's just using the right tool to be able to sit there and communicate more effectively. And I think that's, you're starting to see that. And I think it's going to continue to grow. And, um, I think you're going to see a huge difference uh, in the following courts, because they're never going to know any different. They I started agree. it from ground ground from day one with it. Whereas we had to kind of find our way to figure out what was the best way to do that. So yep. it's a, it, and, and I think it's going to continue that way. There's going to be other things we don't even haven't even thought of yet. Um, and that's what makes us so neat is because this is a growing learning experience where we all are benefiting from. So yes. anybody that's out there that wants to better themselves, help themselves from a, uh, you know, mental skills, uh, I can't say mental health, but it does affect There's your mental benefits health. of it. Yep. Yep. Um, this is something very, very, um, worthwhile and something you should seriously consider the time that you invest in it, you'll receive back. I don't want to put a number on it, but it, it's multifold re- return on it that will benefit you and enhance your life.
0: I agree. I, it's just that simple. That's a good plug, man. <laughs> Look at that plug. Wow. Ooh. Like like professional advertisers. No, but this isn't for advertising. I mean, this is like I it's really worth your time. And I haven't this is brand new. If you want to do V one project, you can e- email info at the V one, the number one, not O-N-E, but the V one project dot com. Info at the V one project.com. Let us know if you're interested. We will require a phone call with you to talk to you and just make sure that that it's like it's going to help you and that it's the right thing for you. Um it's not just anybody who wants to sign up is going to be able to do it. We got to be able to have a conversation and make sure that it's the right fit.
1: I want to say one last thing just before we finish is if this wasn't worthwhile, I wouldn't do it. I've got so many other things that in my life that there is a, there is a commitment to this as far as at least time and 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 actually trying to practice all the things you've learned. If I didn't see the value in this, believe me, um, I wouldn't be doing it. Uh, There's just so much value here that I, my biggest regret is that this wasn't around five years ago. You know, this would have, uh, it would have helped me immensely. I think to deal with issues that, you know, arose that may never have affected me otherwise. So um, this wasn't a plug because I'm part of it. It's a plug because it, it actually has value a lot of it so with that and said and unless there's anything else you want to throw in nope. uh, as always please share this with others give a thumbs up give a positive review um, give us a like podcast at lifteffect.com if you have any comments critiques questions you want to ask we we look at all of them Um, I don't know that we're going to do a three-part series on everyone that's asked, but (laughs) (laughs) but we take them serious and, and we want to hear from you with that. We thank you. We appreciate you. And we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lift Effect podcast. If you want to dive deeper into this episode and every episode, go to our website, lifteffect.com forward slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you'd follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your support. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all with the ID Matthew McNeil. This show is brought to you by Lift Effect, a clinical mental health and consulting company that assists air carriers, corporate flight departments, pilot unions, and commercial pilots by providing comprehensive psychotherapy and mental skills coaching services to pilots with mental health and mental performance-related issues. Visit lifteffect.com, that's L-I-F-T-A-F-F-E-C-T.com to book your free consultation. And finally, this podcast is for general informational purposes only, it does not constitute the practice of counseling, psychotherapy, medicine, or any other healthcare service, including the giving of medical advice. No therapeutic or provider-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional psychological advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining advice for any psychological or medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Lift Effect podcast.